The Bible readings today are from Numbers 3 and Hebrews 12. Um, the first Bible reading you can find on page 207 in the Red Bibles. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. The names of the sons of Aaron were Nadab the firstborn and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Those were the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadab and Abihu, however, died before the Lord when they made an offering with unauthorized fire before him in the desert of Sinai. They had no sons, so Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priests to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary is to be put to death. The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. The second reading is from Hebrews 12, from verse 18. You can find this on page 1876 of the Red Bibles. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burnt with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thanks, Christine, for reading. Morning, everybody. 
Uh, good to be with you and back in the book of Numbers. Uh, let's see if this is working today. Great. Second in our series in the book of Numbers, Walking with God in the Wilderness, we've called it, I've called it. Um, but let's start with this. Uh, when you're traveling overseas, I reckon passport and mobile phone. They're the only real essentials. That's all you really need to remember uh, when you're traveling. I discovered going to the UK, you don't even really need your plane tickets. I mean, you need to have bought them, but I don't think I actually showed a physical plane ticket to anyone uh, during our many journeys. Um, yes, of course, it's useful to have a mobile phone charger and some clothes and toiletries and a bunch of other stuff, but you can always buy those things, assuming your mobile phone has Apple Pay or Google Pay. But when traveling overseas, real essentials, passport, mobile phone. Without those two things, you're probably stuffed. Well, what about our journey through life? What are the essentials for traveling through the ups and downs of life in relationship with God. Well, we need to know that God is faithful and that God is with us. James, I'm, I'm going to let you do the slides. Uh, those were the two big truths that we thought about last week as we began our series in the book of Numbers because Numbers is about a journey. The journey of God's people from Mount Sinai uh, where they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt and formed as God's people their journey from Mount Sinai through the wilderness to the promised land of Canaan. And as such, Numbers is an example for us who have been rescued through Jesus and formed as God's people and are now journeying through this life towards our promised land of the new creation. And a key feature of this journey, both for the people then and for us now, is that we journey with God. We walk through life in relationship with God. And so last week and today, we're looking at what it means to walk with God. We're looking at five big truths about God that we need to know if we're going to travel well and make it to the end. Last week, the first two, God is faithful, God is with us. This week, three more. But before we get into that, I want to say something briefly about what's going on in the Anglican Church of Australia. Uh, many of you... Uh, would have seen reports in the news uh, that there's been a split. Uh, there's a lot to be said. Let me say a few things briefly. Um, the Diocese of Brisbane uh, recently announced that they were going to move ahead in providing uh, a service to bless same-sex marriages. As a result, one church minister within that diocese and most of his congregation have said they cannot remain a part of that diocese because for them, that decision goes against the teaching of Jesus. So that minister has resigned, moved out of his rectory. Most of the congregation have left um, their church building. An organization called GAFCON, which actually represents the majority of Anglicans around the world, has established an alternative Anglican diocese in Australia. Uh, so that churches like the one in Brisbane, who feel that they can't remain a part of their geographical diocese, can still be Anglican and part of this GAFCON diocese called the Diocese of the Southern Cross. Now there's a lot more that could be said, but those are the key points. Now what has happened up in Brisbane doesn't have any direct 
impact on what happens here in Adelaide in this diocese. But there is a chance that at the Adelaide Synod in October, a motion could be tabled and passed which calls for the provision of a service to bless same-sex marriages. I haven't got a time to address that issue now. We've had a few talks um, over the last several years. You can find them online. But briefly, our view as a church leadership is that marriage is between one man and one woman. That God has designed sex for marriage and therefore any sexual practice outside of heterosexual marriage is sinful. Now, we're all sexual sinners in different ways and as a church we want to be one that's welcoming to all people, including those who are same-sex attracted and in same-sex relationships. But because of our biblical convictions, we can't go along with the blessing of same-sex relationships. So that's been weighing heavily on my heart this week. Uh, what's happened in Brisbane is sad, and I'm hopeful it won't happen here in October. I think uh, that's probably unlikely, but it could. And I wanted to give you fair warning. We'll talk more about these things in, in the coming months. Uh, I'm sure you've got questions. Um, and please come and grab me afterwards, or talk to Henry, or Jack, or Kate, or um, a range of time we can catch up during the week. But with all of that, it is so good to remember these things, isn't it? That God is faithful to his promises, that he's present with his people. And so whatever challenges we might face uh, over the coming months and years, uh, we can stand secure in the promises of God. God will build his church. God will provide for our needs. God will be with us, whatever challenges we face. Uh, but let's pray now, and then we'll get into numbers. Father, we do pray for your mercy on the Anglican Church of Australia. We're saddened by what has happened this week, and we pray for unity in the truth. We pray for humility and love and repentance for all. We pray for those in leadership for wisdom and faithfulness to the scriptures. We pray for courage for those making costly decisions. We thank you that you are the God who's faithful to his promises and present with his people. And so we pray for ourselves here at Barney's that whatever challenges we may face will stand secure in your promises and will continue to preach Christ, to rest in your grace, to strive in your power, to love you and all people. We pray for your glory. Amen. Okay, let's dive back into numbers. Three more big truths about God that we need to know if we're going to travel life well. Firstly, God is the Lord. God is the Lord who deserves everything from his people. We saw last week that the camp of Israel was arranged with God at the center. The, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was right at the center of the community, the, the focus for Israel. 
Now that speaks, as we thought last week, of God's presence with his people and the comfort and assurance of that truth. But it also speaks of God's lordship. You see, God is present with his people as their king, their ruler, their lord. Our relationship with God is not one of equals. No, our relationship with God is one in which he is lord. This can be seen most clearly in the repeated refrain that comes through these chapters. So uh, if you did the DNA study this week, you would have um, picked this up. But have a look at the end of chapter 1. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Flick over to the end of chapter 2. So the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses. End of chapter 3. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. And you find the same at the end of chapter 4 and various other places as well. Uh, this idea is seen clearly in chapter 9. Uh, these verses on the screen from chapter 9. Uh, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. This is the, the, the cloud that symbolized the presence of God that um, descended and was present in the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud lifted up and set out, they would pack up the tabernacle, they'd pack up their tents, and they'd follow the cloud wherever it led. And then when the cloud settled, they would make camp again. It reminds me of Chris Tomlin's song, Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. See, if we're going to journey through this life well, then we need to know that God is the Lord, the one we follow, the one we obey. If I'm living as a Christian, then my life is no longer about going my way, seeking my will, following my desires. Rather, I'm seeking to follow Jesus. I'm submitting to his lordship. I'm seeking to obey his commands, which will mean in every age that there are going to be ways in which I'm going to have to live and stand out from the contemporary culture. If I'm following Jesus, it's inevitably going to bring me into conflict with the values of the world around. But God's lordship doesn't just mean obedience. It also means worship. And that's seen most clearly in chapter 7. I should have said, um, this week and last week, we're kind of doing a survey of the first 10 chapters of, um, of Numbers. So we're going to jump around a bit. Chapter 7 of Numbers, uh, you can flick to it. We're not going to read it all. It's a very long chapter, and there's lots of repetition. And it's all about the dedication of the tabernacle. Construction is complete, and now each of the 12 tribes brings uh, offerings for the dedication of the altar. They bring gold and silver plates and dishes for use in the worship of Yahweh. They bring grain offerings and incense for burning. They bring a whole load of animals for burnt offerings and sin offerings and fellowship offerings. Each of the tribes brings the same offerings. So you can look through the chapter and it's exactly the same. Uh, each day, uh, one of the tribes brings exactly the same. Each of the tribes contributes to the worship of Yahweh, each of the tribes has an equal share and something to offer. 
Now we learned last year when we were doing our studies in Leviticus that all of these offerings and sacrifices they're not just about making atonement for sin that's part of the story but they're also a way of saying to God we love you if you remember the currency of the day was not dollars or pounds it was animals and so sacrificing all these animals to God was a way of saying to God you are worthy you are worthy of costly devotion you deserve everything now the New Testament picks up this idea of sacrifice in Romans 12 Paul says that in view of God's mercy we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God it says this is our act of worship our way of saying to God you are worthy of something costly here's my life my body given in devotion to you see friends the God that we walk with is the Lord our Lord Lord over our money and what we do with it Lord over our time Lord over our bodies our sexual practices Lord over our relationships the Lord our God the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength God is the Lord who deserves everything from his people secondly God is the Holy One who demands purity in his people this point can also be seen in the layout of the camp I think I've got the image I put up uh, last week uh, we didn't go into it last week but uh, you can see there um, tabernacle at the center and then you've got the tribes that the, the Levites the tribe of Levi camped around it the dark blue and then you've got the other 12 tribes camped around that now again if you did the DNA study you would have um, covered this but turn back to chapter 1 of numbers and we're going to read the the final section from verse 47 the ancestral tribe of the Levites however was not counted along with the others the Lord had said to Moses you must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites instead appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it they are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings they are to make they are to take care of it and encamp around it whenever the tabernacle is to move the Levites are to take it down and whenever the tabernacle is to be set up the Levites shall do it anyone else who approaches it is to be put to death the Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions each of them in their own camp under their standards the Levites however are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelite community the Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the covenant law so the Levites are set apart they're not counted with the other tribes and in chapter 8 they're purified and they're given this special job to protect the Israelites from the devastating holiness of God so if, as we've seen 
tabernacle, Levites, then the tribes of Israel. Because if anyone who wasn't set apart and cleansed and purified in the way the Levites and the priests were, if anyone else approached the tabernacle and got too close, they had to be put to death. And within the, within the Levites, there are three ministry teams organized according to their clans. And so when the Israelite community traveled following Yahweh in the pillar of cloud, the tabernacle was packed up. And the Merorites on the, the northern end, they were responsible for carrying the frames and the posts and the tent pegs and the ropes. And the Gershonites, well, they were responsible for carrying all the curtains of the tabernacle. And the Kohathites were responsible for the holiest items, the Ark of the Covenant law, and the altar, and the lampstand, and more. But even the Kohathites were not able to touch or see these most holy items. The priests, who were all sons of Aaron, had to cover these items with cloth, so chapter 4 verse 15 says this, chapter 4 15, after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles and when the camp is ready to move only then are the Kohathites to come and do the carrying but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So the Israelites needed to know that, yes, God is present with them, present with his people, but he's still a frighteningly holy God. And we need to know that as well. One of the challenges for those of us that have seen that the kindness and mercy of God in Jesus is remembering that he is still holy. The reading that we had from Hebrews 12 makes it clear that there is a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When the people encountered God at Mount Sinai, it was a terrifying experience. The author says his, to, uh, to his readers and to us, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Your encounter with God is a heavenly reality. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. But it's what the author says next that's so striking. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? He goes on verse 28, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. So God is not less holy. The, the Levites protected the Israelites from the holiness of God. It, it's as if the tabernacle was radioactive and if anyone who wasn't protected got too close, they'd die. Friends, Jesus has given us the ability to go in to the radioactive presence of God. I, I was trying to think how to extend the analogy, but hazmat suits doesn't quite feel right. But God has, Jesus has given us the ability to go in to the frighteningly, devastatingly holy presence of God. 
without any fear of harm, without any fear of wrath. Not because God is less holy, not because we are less sinful than the people back then, but because Jesus is an infinitely superior mediator. And his blood cleanses us fully from every sin. And so, yes, we can approach God with confidence, but we must never forget God's holiness and the magnitude of what Christ has done. That will mean, friends, that we relate to God with reverence and awe, as the writer of Hebrews says. Being able to experience the presence of God is not a small thing. The fact that we can draw near to God in prayer. Wow. God is the Holy One. And he demands purity in his people. This is seen particularly in chapter 5 of Numbers with laws about ritual purity and those who are ceremonially unclean need to be excluded from the camp for a, a time of cleansing. It's also seen in laws about what to do with um, about moral purity, what to do when someone has wronged someone else. And if you've read ahead, you'll know that chapter 5 is tricky because it deals with what a husband is to do if he suspects his wife of adultery. And there's this elaborate and rather unpleasant test that the priest carries out. Now, we're not going to get into that now. I'm going to try and send you something with the DNA study this week uh, so you can hopefully find out what that's all about. But the laws in chapter 5 are all about how the Israelites can pursue purity as God demands of his people. And God has not changed. We are God's holy people and called to behave as such. Look at these words from Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Next one, James. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God's. So God is the Lord who deserves everything. God is the Holy One who demands purity. Thirdly, finally, God is the rescuer who is determined to bless his people. Just before the Israelites set out on their journey, in chapter 9, they celebrate the Passover. Uh, the Passover recalls God's great act of rescue, how they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. And uh, God commanded them to celebrate the Passover every year. So it's, it's one year on. They've been at Mount Sinai for a, a year. They celebrate the Passover. Then they set out on their journey. Now, what was the Passover all about? God's great act of rescue. How God brought judgment on the land of Egypt and the firstborn son in every family died. And yet how God provided a way 
for his people to be rescued. The Israelite families were to take a lamb, kill it, eat it, paint some of the blood on the doorposts of the home. And so when God passed through the land in judgment, he passed over those Israelite homes because the lamb had died as a substitute in place of the firstborn son. And God commanded his people to remember every year because this was a defining moment for his people. They were people who'd been rescued by the blood of the lamb. And so this annual celebration was a way of remembering the grace of God's to remember that God had provided a way for them to be rescued from the judgment they deserved. And so for the Israelites, as they were about to set out on their journey, knowing the lordship and holiness of God, the, the God who demands full obedience and purity, well, they could take great comfort knowing that God is also the gracious God, the forgiving God who provides a way of rescue, that he's the rescuer who is determined to bless his people. You see God's blessing throughout these chapters in the way that he's been faithful to his promises and increased the number of the Israelites, in the construction of the tabernacle and his promise to be present, in the provision of priests and Levites to protect them and mediate for them, in the provision of laws to guide their life. And so it's fitting that at the center of these chapters you find these famous words, at the end of chapter 6 and on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. These verses tell us that true blessing comes from the Lord. Three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And these verses tell us that true blessing is found in face-to-face -face relationship with the Lord. The Lord make his face shine upon you speaks of God looking on you with favor, with delight, with pleasure. The Lord turn his face toward you speaks of his attention, his concern. It's the Lord who keeps us, who protects and sustains us every day of our life. It's the Lord who is gracious to us, forgiving our sin, picking us up when we've fallen again. It's the Lord who gives true peace, shalom. The peace of sins forgiven, a clean conscience, but also the perfect peace of life in the new creation. These verses are an expression of God's determination to bless his people come what may. They're a reminder of who God is and what he's fixed on doing. This is God's basic stance, his default posture. We can bask in the fact that God, the God we belong to, is relentlessly determined to bless. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God's determination to, to bless is seen most clearly in the cross, where Jesus bore the curse we deserve 
so that we might enjoy the blessing he deserves. He was forsaken so we could always enjoy God's face. If we're going to journey well through the ups and downs of life, it is essential that we know we're children of a father who is determined to bless. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's a visual and powerful assurance of God's character, his, his holiness, that required the death of Jesus to provide salvation. His rescue of us, his love for us, and his determination to bless us. Last night as a family, we watched, well, not the littles, but the rest of us, watched the, the recent movie, The Adam Project. It's a sci-fi action travel, time travel movie, but it's really about family relationships. And at the end of the movie, the dad, Louis, says to his adult son, Adam, you're my boy and I love you. I've loved you from the first moment I saw you. And Adam says, okay, dad, I, I get it. And Louis says, no, I don't think you do. I love you, I'm proud of you. Know that inside your heart, you're my boy, you're my son. I found it really moving. God has given us the Lord's Supper because he can't bear the thought of us being unsure of his love and favor towards us. It is the regular reminder of his gracious determination to bless. So five big truths, five essentials that we need to know on our travels, on our journey through life, if we're going to be able to face the challenges that will come. We need to know that God is faithful to his promises, that he's present with his people, that he's the Lord, deserves everything, the Holy One who demands purity, and the rescuer, determined to bless. I'm going to give you a minute to reflect, to respond. Maybe which of those five do you most need to hold on to at this present time? And I'll lead us in prayer and we'll get into the Lord's Supper. Our Father, you call us to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you that you've revealed yourself in your words, your character. And we pray that you'd help us to be people of faith who hold on to these truths that you've revealed about yourself to know that you are the faithful one, that you are present with us, that you are the holy Lord who deserves everything of us, and that you are wonderfully the, the gracious rescuer, determined to bless us. Please imprint these truths on our hearts by your Spirit. Help us to walk this week and every day of our lives in the light of this wonderful truth. Please assure us as we celebrate now the Lord's Supper together, Assure us of who you are, your, your love for us, and your determination to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.